Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Thursday the 12th of September. Coming up, MP wants loot boxes banned from video games. People often spend very large amounts, sometimes children with their parents' credit cards, very large amounts of money and the games companies aren't doing enough to monitor what people are spending. Family of eight living in tent after being evicted. It's horrible knowing that instead of going into their beds, they've got to go into a tent. The mornings are definitely the worst at the moment and getting them ready for school out of a tent is absolute nightmare. And potential impact of no deal Brexit revealed. We all need to know uh, what the worst case planning assumption is so that we can make sure we avoid it. Kent Online News. Questions are being asked today over whether children should be allowed to buy so-called loot boxes in computer games. A report by the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee has raised concerns about youngsters getting involved in betting as well as banning children from buying the virtual treasure chests. They also want the sales to be regulated under gambling legislation to protect players. Folkestone and Hythe MP Damien Collins chairs the committee and told us more about loot boxes and why they're so dangerous. These are mechanisms where people buy stuff within the game itself. Sometimes it's a purchase of chance or it's a form of gambling. Uh, People often spend very large amounts, sometimes children with their parents' credit cards, very large amounts of money and the games companies aren't doing enough to monitor what people are spending, challenge unusual spending patterns and we think that needs to change. Uh, We also think that both video games companies and social media companies should take more responsibility for the way people engage with the tools they've created online to monitor more effectively the amount of time they spend doing that. Uh, you know, there is, there, we've seen cases of people who are suffering from gaming disorder, who are playing uh, games for addictive lengths of time. The games companies can see this, but they don't intervene proactively to do very much about it. So we're concerned about the harm that could be being caused by that. We think that loot boxes are in fact a form of gambling. It is a game of chance. People are speculating on winning prizes in the game. Sometimes these these prizes can have monetary value. They can be traded out of the game on other sites. And people are speculating to try and improve their position. On some games, like the football game FIFA, regular players are spending a lot every year trying to accumulate um, more players that will make their team better. So I think it's a, it's a type of gambling, it's different from mainstream gambling, and therefore I think the Gambling Commission should have oversight of the rules that are in place, and particularly in terms of player welfare, player, player safety. Uh, we've also gone through a process of looking at a whole range of what, what we call online harms, which is harms that can be caused to people as a result of their use of technology. We've looked particularly at social media companies and say they should have a duty of care to look after the interests of their users. I think that duty of care should also apply to games companies and other companies that make online tools that people use. I don't think the games industry necessarily sees it as its responsibility. So it can monitor, it gathers huge amounts of data about people that play games. Most of the games people play now are online games. It can see how long they're playing, how long they're spending, changes in patterns of behaviour. But it has no actual responsibility to proactively monitor that and intervene and say to a player, you know, we think there could be a problem uh, here, uh, let's, let's talk about that, or maybe we should restrict your access uh, if we think there is a problem. Uh, there's no obligation to do any of that at all. And in other things, like gambling, there is. Uh, there is an obligation that's there. So I think it's time for the companies to take more responsibility. At the same time, with uh, something else we looked at is on social media platforms like you know, Instagram, uh, is, it, you know, is it right that young girls can use filters to, uh, to easily change their appearance, to conform to a particular stereotype of beauty? Do young, you know, young people engage with content that could lead to self-harm? 
The companies can monitor what people are doing online, but should they actually have a responsibility to intervene when they can see someone is engaged in a pattern of behaviour that could lead to harm? I think most parents know it's not always possible to keep an eye on everything your child does online, no matter how safe you try and be. And I think when games companies or social media companies can see unusual patterns of behaviour, they should raise the flag. Everyone knows that if, if um, with your bank, if you make a unusual transaction uh, from your account, often you get a call from the bank saying, is this really you? Uh, if all of a sudden someone starts spending a very large sum, say maybe thousands of pounds on a loot box in a game that they've never done before, maybe rather than just accepting the payments, the games company should go to the account holder and say, can we just check this is really you? Uh, that may save some parents the huge expense of seeing their children racking up huge bills on loot boxes in games. We're worried that some people um, clearly, I think, fall into an addictive pattern of behaviour and play. And I think if people are playing games for you know, 10, 15 hours a day, then we should be concerned about whether that is good for people or not. The games companies can easily monitor how long people are playing for. And I think the games companies should recognise what the World Health, World Health Organization recognises, which gaming disorder does exist. It can be harmful. Um, it may only affect a relatively small percentage of people that play, but that's still tens of thousands of people. And I think they should take more responsibility to identify people that could be engaged in, in those patterns of behaviour and intervene. I also think for esports too, um, esports players or, or young players um, who want to become professional gamers <coughs> through playing esports, they, they could be a game practicing 10 to 15 hours a day. And I think the esports industry should look at you know, some sorts of codes of conduct, accepting some responsibility for uh, the welfare of young players that are seeking to become uh, professional gamers through, e through playing esports. The, the boy that uh, recently got to the World Championships finals of Fortnite said that he was playing sort of up to 10 hours a day to prepare for that. And there'll be other people, young people, who probably aspire to be in that position who will hear that and think, well, that's what I've got to do. And I think you know, we should really challenge uh, the companies to say, you know, is this really good for people? You know, if you can see someone is all of a sudden playing you know, for longer and longer periods, should you actually intervene and do something about that and challenge them about their play? I think the games industry should accept a much more proactive responsibility. It gathers the data about how people play, how much they spend. It can, it can identify the outliers, people who maybe are suddenly playing a lot more or for a long period of time been playing a lot more. And I think it should take an interest in the welfare of those players and not leave it up to the player themselves uh, to self-refer and say, oh, no, I think I'm playing too much, or leave it to parents or others. I think the games companies who are making money out of their players should do that. And there's been a big shift too in the way I think the games industry works, much more emphasis on games that are free to start playing. You, the companies make their money through people buying stuff whilst they're playing the game. And there's actually a, a financial incentive for the companies for people to, to play as often as possible for as long as possible because they make more money when they do. This has been a big shift in the way gaming works and the way people play games. If we think about games like Fortnite and FIFA and Candy Crush, you know, this is how they work. People are playing for extended periods, spending more of their time doing it. I think the companies who make money out of it should take more responsibility for the welfare of the people that do. Kent Online reports. Elsewhere today, a man's been found not guilty of murder following a shooting in Maidstone. Andrew Jenkins died after being targeted in Cambridge Crescent in the Shepway part of town in March. 54-year-old Geoffrey Mills, who lives on the same road, said he acted in self-defence. He's also been cleared of an alternative charge of manslaughter, but had already 
pleaded guilty to possessing illegal weapons. A teenager found dead in a field in Ashford has been described as a lovable rogue who charmed his way through life with a smile. 15-year-old Owen Kinghorn was discovered on land off Great Chart at the weekend. His family have paid tribute and say they're overwhelmed by the responses they've had to his death, which isn't being treated as suspicious. A mum's ended up living in a tent in Ramsgate with her six children after being evicted from their home. Joanne Foster had to move out when her husband became ill and they both had to go on benefits. She says they've been camping out in their mother-in-law's garden for more than a month because they have nowhere else to go. She's told Ollie about the impact it's having on her family. It's horrible knowing that instead of going into their beds, they've got to go into a tent and... Well, I don't think there's any words for it anymore. It's just, it's disgusting. It's like their human rights have been taken away from them and uh, they haven't done nothing wrong. So, but yeah, putting them to bed in a tent is, yeah, there's just nothing, no words at all, really. Just, yeah, I don't know really what to say about it anymore. <laughs> How's it been since school started back? Um, Hard in the mornings, especially now it's getting like colder. Um, and obviously... Getting them ready for school out of a tent has been absolute nightmare because they used to take so long anyway. <laughs> so trying to get them up and getting them ready, um, breakfast and everything, it's waking up into cold as well. It's it's not nice at all, really not nice. So it's, they're, obviously they're doing well at school and that's their century, but it's before school is the worst bit. So yeah, coming home and knowing they've got to go in the tent. Tell us a little bit about um, how uh, yourself and Daniel got into the situation. Well, my husband obviously was working, um, a brilliant job. We was both really happy, just plodding along really. We didn't have no worries. Um, then Daniel obviously got poorly with his chest, arthritis. I got poorly with arthritis in my knee and vapor cyst. Um, within two months of each other, it was, yeah, probably like struck. <laughs> the most unluckiest thing ever. But um, And then obviously we just got into arrears from then on because obviously we had to change on to benefits and it just everything just got worked up all like all the bills at home everything just got so behind that we just couldn't couldn't get out of that situation as much as we tried we we just couldn't it was just a debt that a lot of people have got debt and they have do you know what I mean and but this one we just couldn't couldn't get out of so and the landlord didn't want no one were non-working tenants either so that was the hardest part trying to still say that we was working when we was getting into arrears so it was just yeah that was everything just kind of went <laughs> yeah bottoms up sort of thing so tell me a little bit about um what the council's decision when you went to help when you got evicted you went to, for help at advantage district council what was their <laughs> response um basically that they wasn't helping us um Mental health isn't a vulnerable enough reason because me and my husband both suffer with depression. Um, the children, they didn't, they just didn't care, really didn't care. Um, knowing that it was a Friday as well when they evicted us. Um, so they just, they all they was ready for was their weekends and getting home to their children in their nice warm houses and leaving us to, well, we didn't have nowhere. Luckily, obviously, we father-in-law had a tent so we could stay in that but other than that we we didn't have nowhere else to go it was just it, yeah just i don't know just, yeah i don't know just no words really the way they treated us we, like we were worse than dirt on their shoe really um 
Yeah, we've, we've all got human rights ourselves, especially my children. Like, me and my husband, we'd, we'd sleep in a tent all day long, do you know what I mean? But you can't do that, especially three, four-year-olds as well. Um, at first, it was like a little holiday. Not anymore. It's it's all back to normality, and it's they just want a roof over their heads now. Well, we all do. That's all we want. We've all got a bit of a blocked nose, and it, like everyone gets a common cold, but you don't know if because we're outside in the elements anyway, it's going to be so much worse than just because my my son, one of my sons, Logan, he's got a, a bad blood condition as well. So anything anything can trigger it off. Um, like it's just all different kind of things. Um, but yeah, it's just my daughter, when she was Marnie, when she was younger, she's always had a bad chest as well. So none of them, touch wood, have got asthma or anything, but it, it, like pneumonia and everything, especially when you're out in the elements, it's not, just, and you, it, it just changes so rapidly as well now. It's like, yesterday it was pouring rain today, it was lovely and sunny, so you, don't, you can't tell what the weather's going to be like, and, but the mornings are, are definitely the worst at the moment. And nighttime, they've got quite a few quilts and that on them, but, it's any kid, they just take the quilt, if they take that quilt off, it's, they, yeah, it's just that little bit of coldness getting into that tent and it's, it's the worst, it's the worst in the world and, and getting bitten and eating alive, <laughs> we've all been bitten so much, but um, yeah, it's just, we ain't really just ain't got nowhere else to go, just constantly looking for houses. They say because of my oldest daughter who's 14, she's got to have her own room, but she hates sleeping on her own anyway, so I'd happily take a three bedroom house. Three, I've got three girls, three boys, so it's not like it. And they've all shared rooms anyway before, so it's not like it's a major thing. Or I'd even take a two bedroom and sleep in the front room. It, anything will do, just to put a roof over my kids' heads, especially when it, it, yeah, it's, it's getting colder and that, like it's yeah, it's just nothing, just two bedroom, even a one bedroom, I won't care really, just anything that. I can just put my kids into. Well, Thanet District Council say the family made themselves intentionally homeless. Kent Online News. Now, with less than 50 days until the UK's due to leave the EU, the government's been forced to release papers revealing the worst-case scenario after a no-deal Brexit. The so-called Operation Yellowhammer document warns of potential shortages of food and medicines, huge disruptions across channel traffic at Dover, and even rioting. It also says low-income groups would be disproportionately affected by price rises. Conservative MP for Tunbridge and Malling Tom Tugendhat has been giving us his take on the report. First of all, I'm glad that the government has released the documents. I know it was compelled to do so, but I'm glad that it has done so, because I think we all need to know uh, what the worst-case planning assumption is so that we can make sure we avoid it. And that, I hope, is exactly what the government is trying to do. But I still say the best way to avoid this is to get a deal. And that's why I have voted for one three times. And I can only wish that more people had joined me. Because then we wouldn't be talking about this. We'd be talking about the future trading arrangement with 27 important friends and neighbours. There is nothing that the UK government can do to stop uh, 27 other countries making the decisions that they will or won't make. What I think that the UK government should do is to sit down with 27 other uh, heads of state and government and to sit down with the European uh, Union and work out a way uh, to make sure that we can get a withdrawal agreement, which is, after all, just a temporary status so we can start working on the future uh, trade agreement that will keep us as economic partners for many, many years to come. Look, we're going to have to okay. find a way to work together somehow anyway. Why not just get on with it? Why not just sign the deal? and get on with it. There is nothing that the UK government can do to stop 
uh, 27 other countries making the decisions that they will or won't make. What I think that the UK government should do is to sit down with 27 other uh, heads of state and government and to sit down with the European uh, Union and work out a way uh, to make sure that we can get a withdrawal agreement, which is, after all, just a temporary status, so we can start working on the future uh, trade agreement that will keep us as economic partners for many, many years to come. Look, we're going to have to okay. find a way to work together somehow anyway. Why not just get on with it? Why not just sign the deal and get on with it? Kent Online reports. At kentonline.co.uk, you can see an image of a man police are looking for after a passenger was allegedly held hostage inside a taxi in Maidstone. The driver reportedly dropped off the victim's friends on the A20 near Hermitage Lane in Aylesford before driving off while the man was still inside. It's claimed the driver then made threats to the victim who jumped out of the moving cab and suffered several injuries. A teenage boy who was hit by a train in Thanet is in a stable condition in hospital. He was rescued from the tracks by emergency crews at Broadstairs Railway Station on Tuesday evening and flown to London for treatment. His injuries are not thought to be life-threatening. A bus driver has been jailed for 16 months for trying to smuggle two Albanian men into Kent for £2,000. The court heard the 31-year-old had been offered the money by a friend after he got into financial trouble. The Londoner was stopped at the French border in June and the men were found laying down in the boot of his car. Kent Online News. A Gravesend nightclub's had its licence suspended after police were called to a fight between two groups of men. Glasses were reportedly used as weapons and a chair was thrown at Silk Bar in Parrick Street last month. Officers found the venue to be in breach of at least seven of its licensing conditions. CCTVs due to be shown at a hearing. It's thought around £100,000 worth of stocks being destroyed by a fire at a Warhammer store in Ashford. The Park Mall shopping centre was evacuated when the blaze broke out yesterday afternoon. It's not known yet how it started. £3 million is going to be spent on doing up several high streets in part of Kent. Bosses say most of the cash will be spent on Folkestone, with the remaining split between 10 other sites, including Cheriton, Sandgate, Hythe and Lyd. The money could be used for developing things like pop-up shops, supporting new independence and improving the market. Kent Online Sport. Football and a former Ebbsfleet manager has been telling us about his time as a Premier League defender. Liam Daish served as fleet boss for more than eight years before leaving by mutual consent in 2013. He's been speaking on the KM Football podcast about what it was like going up against some of the game's greatest players. They all gave me problems, but... Um... No, I've played against the one thing I'd like to say. I played against some real legends in the game. Um, played, uh, you know, they all all of them had a, a different side that they could cause me problems with. But um, I think the one that stood out was played at Man United and against Eric Cantona, and I just, you know, I was in awe of the man. You know, what what a player, what a, you know, physique, what a you know, could do anything. Um, so yeah, but. There were some great players I played against. Played all again in that time, you know, with the Shearers, Ferguson's, Fowlers, you know, uh, Coles. You know, they're all good. But I think the King sticks out. Did he talk to you during the game? No, he just gives you the look every now and then, and that that that'll, that'll uh, 
that's enough. You can hear more of that chat on our podcast page at Kent Online. And finally today, Dreamland say they've had their busiest year since reopening in 2015. The theme park in Margate's had over 650,000 visitors so far this year, more than double their previous record. That's it for now, but don't forget you can go to kentonline.co.uk for more news throughout the day. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. 